We are in this uh, unique summer series, and it's all about this idea of, of liturgy. And liturgy means the form and shape of worship. And for many of us, this idea of liturgy might have always centered around what we're doing right now, the Sunday morning service. And this is the time, this is where we see the form and the shape of worship. And that when we come here and we sing and we encounter the sacraments and we hear the preaching and those types of things, that, that is, that's the way in which we worship and the way in which we meet with God. And so then... What about the rest of the week? Are we just waiting? Uh, we're just waiting in between Sundays to be able to have an encounter with God and that, that this Sunday morning is somehow this sacred worship space and that the, the rest of our time is, is secular. Even if we wouldn't say that we agreed with that idea, maybe it's just kind of true about how the outworkings of our, our life really are. And so in in what we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to talk about the liturgy of community, this idea that worship um, and the, the form and the shape of worship can have patterns and elements to it that happen through the communities that we live and exist in, both through friendships and communities with those, uh, those type of relationships and also with our families, our nuclear and extended families. So that's what we're going to be discussing this morning. And there's, there's a reason why we have to have this conversation uh, because we live in a unique period in human history where things have changed so drastically with the way that we understand community, that our lives are, are very scattered and fragmented if we consider the way that most people have lived throughout most periods of time in history. And we don't really know it per se. We sense something's not quite whole or not quite there. We have desires for more community, but we're not really sure about what it could look like. And so we've, we've got these things. So I'll, I'll give you just one really easy example, cars. We've got these things called cars, right? Really great. You don't have to ride horse and buggy. Your uh, children aren't going to die of malaria, like going to visit your relatives because it takes you like three months and you ate a rotten squirrel or something. Uh, I'm just channeling Oregon Trail, you know, the, the game Oregon Trail. Piles of squirrels we killed in that game. But we've got cars, and cars afford us a whole lot of choices in life. If you don't have a car, which church are you going to go to? Probably the what? The closest one. You're like, man, I don't really like that preacher, but like, it's going to take an hour longer to walk to the next church down the way, so let's just stick with them. I don't really like all those people there, or I had a fight with Josh like last month, and I don't really want to be around him, but it's going to take me over an hour to get somewhere else to worship, so I'll just like work it out. I'll just walk it off, just deal with it, right? And 
So we've all grown up in this sort of culture where we, we can shop for things. We can shop for churches. We can shop for relationships. We can end relationships. If you don't even, like right now, this is how crazy life is right now for us. Like if you don't even decide you like want to hang out with the people that are right there in front of you, they like might even be your friends. You just pull out your phone and you start like tweeting or Facebooking with people who you like know you have some common thing you can talk about online without all of like the messy parts of the real people right in front of you. So we could just make all of these decisions about this scattered and fragmented life. I, I want to show you a picture of just like kind of how scattered things could be for us. So we've, we've got our house one place, our job another place, school or our kids' school somewhere. Your pastor lives over here. You got a cafe there. I put two cafes on there because, well, we're at Christ City. So like... <laughs> Your, your favorite cafe is over here. Your second favorite cafe is over there. It's just all fragmented. It's all over the place. And this just puts us in a situation where we have to really like think through this idea of community and this liturgy of community in ways that most people in human history didn't even have to think about. They didn't even talk about it really because they didn't need to because life was just already kind of like that. You had to bump into people. You had to be interdependent with somebody who was right down the street from you. Like, raise your hand if you know where the cereal came from this morning that you ate. Like, the farmer's name who, I mean, there might be one or two families in here, like maybe the barbers or somebody might know, but (laughs) we probably don't know those kind of things. So we have this scattered, sort of disconnected thing going on. And I'm I'm going to give you one or two more things about this because I really want to paint this picture of, of why this is important for us. We have things in our culture right now that are planned to not last and planned to need to be thrown away quickly and upgraded. Can you think of anything like that? Say, say yeah, the iPhone, right? Like... They, did y'all hear about this? How Apple actually slowed down the old iPhones so more people would get rid of them and buy the new ones? Yeah, y'all know about all that stuff. If I, if, if, how many of y'all know about that, that the, that the uh, Keystone pipeline bursts? Some people might be like, yeah, but then everybody knows about the iPhone, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, because I had to buy that iPhone 8. My wife wishes she had one. All those pictures can take. So, but this, this idea is a serious thing that shapes our minds and our hearts in relationship, not just to how we deal with our technology, but how we relate to the people and relationships around us, this idea of planned obsolescence. We're all attracted to this sort of idea of having a tribe, but we're not, for the most part, most of us, we didn't grow up with a tribe, We probably grew up with some kind of nuclear family or fractured nuclear family. Nuclear family meaning like a mom and a dad and the kids are the only people that live together. That's also a really new idea in human history. But if if I said, hey, your mom and your mother-in-law and auntie is moving in with you, y'all be like, "Uh uh-uh, no way, most of y'all. Because we don't, we don't have the framework for it because we didn't grow up that way. Our culture and our hearts weren't shaped that way. So that, that's why we need this idea. That's why we need to talk about this liturgy of community because there's something that we desire. Like we, we grew up 
with this idea of individualism and get yours and, and do it for yourself and compete against everybody else. But we all have this desire, this deep longing to be together more so than we are. And part of that's why we're here right now in this building, because we have that sense of desire. So as we look into the scripture this morning, I just wanted us to, to have that picture and that framework painted for us about why this is such an important conversation for us to be having and what, how difficult some of these things are for all of us because of the way the culture we live in has shaped us and contoured us in ways that don't fit well and easily with community. So it take, it's gonna take a little work. Intellectually, through your feelings, it's gonna take some work. So let's look at this scripture in Deuteronomy. We haven't been in Deuteronomy in a while, but it came up earlier too, so uh, I'm kinda, kinda excited about going back in the old Deuteronomy world here. So this passage of scripture is actually for a, a Jewish person, a believing Jew, it may be the most important and most central scripture uh, for their whole Bible. And uh, it's called the Shema, the Shema, which really in Hebrew just means here, like with an exclamation point, here. And let, let's look at this beginning of the scripture in verse four and see why it's so important to the Jewish mind, to the Jewish sense of community. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Central to the evolution of the Jewish religion of the Hebrew people was this idea, first, that the God Yahweh of the, of the Hebrew people was the, the greatest among all gods. But after a while, it became known through the prophets and through other writers that, no, it's not even that this Yahweh, this Hebrew God, is the greatest of all gods, but he is the only God, and he is God all by himself. You ain't God. Your little dude over there that you carved out of stone ain't God. There ain't no other gods except for this God. And that is one of the most important ideas to this day to the Jewish people, as well as to us, to us as Christians. And one of the reasons why I think this is so important is because of this idea of community, this idea of unity. And I want to show you a couple of scriptures that fulfill this idea and flesh it out even further about what this means for humanity. So let's look at these verses. I've got them on the screen here. The first one's Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. So it says this, making known his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So he's talking about when time is fulfilled, when everything that's going to happen that needs to happen has happened, this is what it'll look like. After this comma, the fullness of time to unite all things, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The unity, the end goal, the end game for God is the unity of everything is that in the amazing diversity that's offered in the 
earth and in the heavens, that God's purpose is that it comes together and that it's whole and that it hums with beautiful harmony and intention, that that's what we see about this God who is one. Wouldn't that make sense that if we're made in the image of this God who is one, who even in diversity is full of unity and accord, that that would be his goal for us, for the earth and the heavens. You see it again in Colossians chapter one, verse 19 through 20. It says, for in him, all the fullness of God, speaking of Jesus, was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself what, what kind of things? What's it say? All things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. So this idea of unity and oneness in God and in the creation is central to the scriptures, to the Jewish people, to the Christian people, and to that longing in your heart that you have. Whether or not you believe any of this stuff written down, you know you want to be connected to something bigger than you. So, This idea of community, let's see one of the ways that it plays out. Let's continue and look here in these scriptures and see after the Lord is one, what happens? It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And that's weird because it's a command to love. But then there's a practical application. Like, what does it mean to love God? How does that actually work? How do you love something that you cannot see, that you can't have a back and forth conversation with? It says this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So, these commands that God is teaching. You know, before this, we see in Deuteronomy some, some of the language around the, the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, y'all, are really low standard, actually, when you think about it. It's like, don't murder, don't steal each other's wives, don't lie to each other, don't take God's name in vain. It's not like really high standard stuff, okay? But he's saying, like, do these things, and teach your children about these things. And he's saying, teach it to them when you're, when you're waking up in the morning, when you're going out, when you're coming in, when you're lying back down, when you're playing golf, when you're you know, walking to uh, Jerry Snow Cones, whatever it is, when you're doing these things. So really, what's he trying to say? You should teach these things when? All the time, all the time. And really a better word, uh, a closer translation of that Hebrew word would be to speak with them about these ideas, to speak with them about these ideas. And so uh, we have this sort of preface here, and this is, this is a very important aspect of, the commu of community to the Jewish people, is to be able to speak of the things that unite us. What is uniting us, what is helping us to come together is how we treat each other and what type of God do we look at that gives us the validation for how we treat each other? Are we kind to each other? Do we respect one another in all of these ways? But there's a second part here as well. That sounds pretty weird to us in some ways, probably. It says this in verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on doorposts, on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So um, some of the, some of the Jewish commentators and translators took this literally, and some of them took it metaphorically. Um, I want to show you what the literal version looks like on the screen here. Uh, these are called phylacteries, and that comes straight from this Hebrew text here. So the, uh, the picture with that backwards numeral one up there is like a picture of this band wrapped around the person's arm. And if you look where it says C, there's a tiny little box with a tiny little scroll, a little piece of papyrus. And you know what's on that scroll? Guess. Commandments, laws, actually some of these exact words. We do the same thing. We just put it like with a pretty picture of a house above the toilet, right? <laughs> and then you got, you got this other one here uh, with it, where it says two and D, and that would be like actually one that you put on your forehead. Um, I had pictures of people actually wearing it, but I thought if somebody starts laughing and everybody starts laughing, like that would not be good. It's like a bunch of Christian people laughing at Jewish people up on the screen. I'm like, that wouldn't be a good idea. So here we go. Nice black and white drawings, okay, from the guy who's an artist. So I, no, I didn't draw these. I'm just saying I'm an artist. That's a drawing. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so they took this really literally. There we go. We still laughed. And it was at nobody's expense, really. So that worked out. So they created these things, and they were reminders so that when they were going about daily life, they were able to think about what God had commanded them. They were able to reflect on the impact that God's law would have on this sense of community. So there was really two things happening in this verse. There were liturgies that the writer was saying, there, there are liturgies and forms of life that are just normal times. They're just as you're going about your day. And those are liturgies that are more like you might discover them. And then there's things that I actually want you to create. There's things I actually want you to do to create liturgies for life. So that's what we're going to spend the, the next few minutes talking about is those two different things, those two different ideas. First, we're going to talk about liturgies that we can create, forms of worship in our life of community that we can create, and then also ones that we can discover. So let's talk first about this, this idea here of creating these spaces, because if we don't make them in our fractured world with your cafe over here and your friend over there, it's just some of this stuff will never happen. There are things you will never know and things you will never experience that are right there. They're right inside your friends and your pastors and your neighbors, and you'll never experience them if you don't take the time to build a trellis. A trellis is a gardening, a gardening thing, and it, it's so that vines can grow up and, 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 be, and flourish. So we have to create these liturgical trellises so that the light of God's presence and unity can shine down and produce a fruit for us in these communal ways. So let's talk about what a couple of these might sound like. I was really excited that I got to talk about this idea this morning because 
Um, my wife is really insistent that we keep our kids in the worship service with us during the singing and the liturgy and stuff in the beginning. And uh, sometimes it's hard. Like this morning, it was hard. But that is a space that we want our kids to be in. It's a created space that we want to join in and share that as a community, as a family with all of you and with our immediate family. So that idea of family, we want to keep it there. We want to keep that liturgical space for our whole family. So that means, guess what? I told PJ and Haley this this morning because they were right in front of our kids. Hey, you could tell Benjamin, hey, listening ears, buddy, or look up there or whatever, whatever you might do. Like, that's intentional. It's not just because we're, you know, Becky maybe might be running a few minutes late because I had to leave early to do stuff up here or whatever. We really do that on purpose. There's an important aspect of that. Let me tell you another example that's not really a churchy thing per se, but it's a space that was created. So we... Uh, we spent some time at, at Becky's mom's house uh, in June, and I was doing some traveling for work and stuff, but her sister was there, her older sister was there, and her older sister barely ever speaks to me. Not because she's mean, just she's a quiet person, Enneagram folks, she's a five, all right? And um, it was Father's Day, and we were in her mom's living room, and Becky said, hey, Let's say, she was talking to the kids, she said, let's say something that we really like about daddy or we're thankful for for daddy. And I was like, oh, isn't that really nice? And the kids were like fighting over a truck and like <laughs> trying to get stuff they, you know, shouldn't. And so they weren't really paying attention. But her older sister, Sarah, said, well, I would like to say some things that I appreciate about Jamin. And she went on to say some like really nice things. I was like, what? Like you... How do you even know any of those things about me? Like, we never talk. But that would have never happened had Becky, my wife, not created the trellises for that to occur in, for that to grow. And so it strengthened a relational bond that otherwise may have never, ever happened. Do you see, this is a really small, it seems so ordinary, and that's the thing, like that's the thing that, that Drew just, he gets so tickled about this, right? That like the liturgy, the ideas of liturgy take place in all of these sort of normal routines that happen in life, but within those are the, all these beautiful little significant moments. Many of them we miss out on. Part of it is because we're so shaped by this fragmented culture, but we can build trellises. Um, I do catechisms with Benjamin and Malia, you know, she's there, but she's only two, so she's not really joining in right now. She might repeat. So catechism is like explaining why we, why we worship the way we worship. Who is the God we worship? Who are we in relation to it? And I try to read those sometimes to Benjamin, a four-year-old, at dinner. And it doesn't go that well. And I usually make it through like maybe like a fifth of the catechism. Uh, we might do a prayer, uh, and sometimes he asks to pray and he'll pray and we're like whoa Benjamin just said thank you that we have windows and doors and it's really great and some of this you're like come on Jamin this is so boring like we we know like you're supposed to do these sort of things this is I'm telling you some things about like my family my immediate family experience but 
it doesn't matter if you're single or married. If you never want to be married, if you always are going to be single, if you don't want to have kids, it doesn't really matter. What matters is, are you intentional at all about the spaces that you create in the relationships that you have to encounter community and God through that? Do you have any liturgies in your life that make those things more likely to happen? Another easy example that you could use is the Book of Common Prayer. There's even like a new hip version of it that this dude named Shane Claiborne made called the Book of Common Prayer for Ordinary Radicals. All right? There's that word ordinary again. You can download it. I have the app on my phone, and it has a a morning. And there's also a book for those of you who like books with pages and things like that. Um, But there's a morning prayer, a midday prayer, an evening prayer. There's a monthly reading of things to consider about communal life and communal living. But there's things that you can do in order to set up trellises for the vines of community to run along. In our, um, in our church, we have something called story groups. Anybody in a story group in here? Raise your hand. Let's see who, who in here is in a story group. Story groups are these things where you get together like three times out of the month, sometimes four times out of the month, and you're able to just like hang out with people and learn their stories and learn more about them. Some are more hardcore than others. They're like going through verse by verse through Ephesians and Romans and stuff like that. Some are more relational and things like that, but that's an opportunity. It's hard to make time for this stuff. We used to do these things at Christ City called parishes, where we had these groups of 20 to 30 people that lived in close proximity together that met a few times a month for a meal. But it was really hard because we're not shaped for it. So here's what I want to encourage us to do. This is, this is kind of like, if you're a visitor today, um, you know, I'm sorry a little bit because uh, it's not like this big inspirational thing that we're talking about here um, or in an inspirational way, I suppose. But um, we, if we can continue to build on these small things, these small liturgies of community, they can flourish into something bigger. They can flourish into something that you are going to encounter God. See, you're gonna be able to encounter God in ways you didn't know were possible. If, 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 you re, if you look at the scripture from the lens of community, you'll notice it's always with other people. Even the way we understand who God is, is an idea of community, that God existing as one in three people, this sort of divine dance, as the Eastern Orthodox people call it, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we, we find, as we enter into more community and we work through difficult things, that's part of the reason why we study Enneagram and we study how to know our feelings and express our feelings is so we can actually work through conflict so that when you have a fight, you will have a fight. You will have a disagreement. You will be hurt by me or Drew or Robin or somebody else, some other elder, some other leader on stage, somebody in a group. You'll get hurt. You'll disagree with something. And we want to create a structure where you have an option other than to just go to the church down the street because you got a car. 
And you miss out on all these beautiful opportunities for deep community to actually let the roots go down deep. You can never get a full big old watermelon if the roots don't get a chance to go down. And you'll be walking around thinking that watermelons are this big your whole life. This is how big God is. It's me and looking at this Bible as if God was trapped in this book. You know who he's actually trapped in? Us. He's in us. And we can see him and encounter him as we create those trellises for community and we actually try to stick through it. We try to get what we need. We try to get the help that we need in order to persevere into deeper levels of community. Not just for extroverts, it's for everybody. I'm actually an introvert, y'all might not know that about me. Share one more example with you before we move on to these liturgies that we discover. When I was 23 years old, I went to uh, help in the Katrina disaster relief. And I stayed in this uh, gym that they had set up with cots. And I was there for several weeks. And um, there, there were different groups that came in every week to volunteer from different churches. And this one group came in and they were, uh, they were all around the same age. They were all around mid forties and um, they were really excited and they were going around to everybody everywhere we went and asking them, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd be? Are you going to be in heaven or hell? And they were going around doing that. And that was really annoying to me uh, as a 23 year old. I'm like, that's manipulative. And, um, I don't think that helps people know God. And that was really what they, what they seemed to be concerned about. And I, I liked the people okay, but they just had a real, they talked about like two topics in two very narrow ways. But then something amazing happened. One night, everybody else was kind of playing around or just lounging, doing whatever. And I saw that group of people and they were kind of like whispering to each other. And I was kind of close by and they, I, I met eyes with one of them and they, they kind of waved me over and they're like, hey, we're going to go to our van and we're going to go take communion together. Do you want to come? I'm like, okay. So <laughs> believe it or not, I'm not going to tell you this story, but this isn't the first time I've been invited into somebody's van for a church service before. <laughs> I got stories for days, y'all, days and days. So we went and they had, they had a little thing of grape juice and they had a couple plastic cups and some crackers and they poured the juice and passed it around and we ate the crackers and then we sang Amazing Grace. And that has stuck with me my whole adult life. Like I feel I get choked up just talking about it with you guys right now. They created such a meaningful experience for me in the middle of what was commonplace. And I encountered God with those people who I had a very different approach and very different idea of how to share God with other people. But that was such a beautiful experience that unified me with them. So I just want to encourage you. There are so many times and places where these things can happen. Not, to, not for you to feel guilty if you're like, well, I hadn't done any of that. It's just to say, be encouraged because you can help create these spaces. Just pick one thing. Do you want to set up a prayer time one time? Do you want to try to do a, a, a common prayer liturgy one time before you eat with your friends or your family? Just try one thing. 
Go to the, go to the prayer times that Drew sets up for us, different times in our church calendar. There's all these different liturgies that we can take part in. So we've got to create those spaces, but then there's also, there's also these liturgies that we discover, these places that the, we can shine a flashlight on the dark spaces in our hearts that lack meaning in the daily life around us. See, one of the, one of the, the, the issues that we have as these 21st century upwardly mobile people in Memphis, Tennessee, is that so many things are utilitarian. You know what I mean by utilitarian? They're just, they're just used for something and then they're thrown away. Like they don't have any deeper meaning or purpose. They're just an object that gets consumed by us, the consumer, and it entertains us or it feeds us and then we move on. But that's not the way that the people of scripture understood the creation around them. And I don't think that's the way that we have to think about it either. And what I've noticed is as I created and was part of things that people created, uh, these liturgies, that things came to life in new ways. So one thing is, um, because we did those catechisms with Benjamin, sometimes I think he asks more questions, more things about God. One time we were reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and afterwards Benjamin said, does God ever talk to us? And I had um, an opportunity there that could either... Um, make the conversation open up or shut it down. I could say, yes, God speaks to us. It's in the Bible. And that's where it is. Case open and shut. But we just read from the Bible. And so I wanted to think about that question. And I want to think about my son's mind and his curiosity. And so I was thinking about how does God, how does God speak to me? I said, Benjamin, do you know the feeling that you feel when you help somebody? When a kid falls down and you, you help them up? You know yet you feel something inside? Do you feel something inside when that happens? He's like, yeah, I feel something. I said, what do you think that that is? Like, I don't, I don't know. I said, I think, I think that's God talking to you. I think that's God giving some affirmation, some encouragement to you when you're doing good. He asks lots of questions, and sometimes I get totally insane with trying to deal with them. But I've learned I can ask him questions back, and I've learned how I can talk about something as simple as I'm catching this bug and I'm taking it outside because we value all life. And I know the why is coming, why? but I'm prepared for it now. You see, I'm prepared for these times. I know there are times to discover. I know there are times to find where something ordinary can take on amazing communal and divine significance. It's the liturgies that are already there. It's the liturgies of the cycle of day and night of the seasons that God has created. That when we go to sleep, that as we read in Genesis, the day starts in the evening, that God is working and creating things. And when we wake up, that's the second part of the day. God's already set the field and things are for us to join into that he's already been at work doing. 
What a different way to see the world than this utilitarian sort of idea of consume, throw away, get some more. As we, uh, as we get ready to close, I just want to remind you to, to consider how you can create liturgies and how you can discover them. Uh, and also, I want to give you something to think about that some of us are closer to than others in probably different ways. And that the way that we live together um, can become deeper. That there are people all over the country and all over the world that are relocating their houses, Christians that are relocating their houses, they're living together, they have shared spaces, they have shared gardens, they have shared properties, they share their, um, their place of service. And maybe some of you might be called to that type of living. Maybe some of you right now, the things that you're experiencing at Christ City are preparing you for that deeper communal life. It's, it's a prophetic voice in the world and the culture that we live in. And so maybe some of you might do that sometime. My wife and I, we lived in a community like that for many, many years and may, may again someday. Um, but it was, there was a unique amount of liturgies and overlap of life that was a beautiful witness to the unity of the God that we serve. So what will you do? What's one small thing that you can create? What's one little trellis you can build to see God's presence shining down on it and the fruit of community and unity growing a little bit bigger? If you do that, you'll probably discover more of them that are already all around you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for a chance to think about to have thoughts, feelings, emotions about what your word has to say. Pray that we would be encouraged and inspired by this idea of community and unity in your scriptures and in our liturgies here this morning. Amen.